This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. Here we go. Another amazing episode coming at you. I'm very excited to introduce everyone to today's guest. She is a powerhouse, a business leader, a master negotiator, and a broker of deals. Uh, I, I have it written here. She's actually an authority on business acquisitions and a very talented evaluator of businesses. I can't wait to, to get into this topic. A lot of people listening, always thinking about buying and selling their business or a business. She is the principal at Bay State Business Brokers. Sarah Grossman, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Casey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is, I'm excited. It, you know, I, I can't wait to just learn from you. My notepad over here is ready to go. And so with that, I'd love to just pass you the baton and ask you, what is a common misconception um, or myth or, or broken strategy about being a leader or being an entrepreneur? So I think, you know, a lot of business owners think that you can own a business and work on it, but not work in it. We, we get a lot of buyers that say, I want an absentee business. Um, and I, I think that's really hard to do. I think that you can have management in place, but no one's ever going to run the business as well as you do. Um, and I think you really have to get your hands dirty. You need to be okay with stepping in um, and, um, and actually doing work on the ground. And I think it also um, creates a lot of camaraderie with your employees and it shows them that you care and you're invested in the business. So I think, I think you know, for most of the business owners that I know um, who are you know, running small to medium-sized companies, they are involved owners day-to-day -day in the company. You know, this is like, it's like shots fired. It's not the morning, it's the afternoon for us, depending on whenever yeah. people are listening. But there's so many books out there saying, work on the business, not in it. And here you're coming in there saying, hold on, you have to be able to be in it. So to, or is it the extremes where people get in trouble or what can, I mean, should you be in both sides of that spectrum or can you sort that out for me? I think you need to figure out what, what you do best, right? So what do you do best in your business and outsource the other things. So for example, I love doing business development. Um, I love speaking with clients. I love selling businesses. I love mentoring my brokers. I don't like IT. I don't like marketing. Um, so I have people who work, um, who are outsourced, who handle those things for me, and they do very well at that. So figure out what your strengths are, build a team around you um, in your business that will help you maximize your strengths. Um, do I think that you should be as a business owner standing there necessarily making widgets all day long? No, I don't think so. And so if people think that's what's working, what working in the business means, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have to show up every day. You have to be willing to do the dirty work. You can't just buy a business and pass it off to someone else to run and think that it's going to run smoothly. I, I think you need to be totally invested in your business um, and understanding how it runs and putting the right people in place to make it run most efficiently. Yeah, you know, this is it's a great point. I, I've experienced what you're talking about. Anytime I try to get out too far out, then just you you lose control and you're yeah. disconnected and you, you're not yeah. speaking the same language anymore. Why, why do so many people think that this is the case? Like, why does this misconception even exist? Because I think they see that there's these absentee run businesses or 
you know, they're coming from a very corporate world where um, there are so many layers, right? And so maybe they don't see some of the people at the top getting their hands dirty. But I think for most entrepreneurs I know in the businesses that we sell, I mean, most of the businesses we sell are between one and 15 million in revenue. And so those business owners are involved. Like I said, you don't need to be driving a truck all day long or assembling something all day long to be an involved owner, but, but showing up is important. And I think right now, so many people are having trouble um, retaining employees, right? So it's really hard to hire. It's really hard to retain. When you are invested in your employees and you're invested in their health and their well-being, um, they will come to work. They will work hard for you. They will work hard for the company. Um, you know, it was interesting. My, my husband's a business owner himself um, and purchased his company several years ago. And one thing that he told our children, I thought that was really important, was that his biggest responsibility is making sure that his employees are taken care of. It's not him at the end of the day, it's his employees. So his business has to run well so that his employees can make a paycheck and go home and take care of their families. And I thought that was a really important lesson um, for my children to learn, but also just for anybody to think about when they're running a company. It's not just about what you're getting out of it. Um, it's what you know, your employees are getting out of it, you know, helping their livelihood, helping their families, what your customers are getting out of it. You know, we, we sell businesses, right? So at the end of the day, we're making sure that our customers can retire or move on and they're super happy, um, that our buyers are investing in a great company and they're, you know, this is transforming their lives. There's so many other, you know, people involved in running a company. I think you need to think about um, just all of those groups that are involved in, in running your business. Yeah, that is fantastic. The idea that, and that even starts getting into that servant leadership, like you're there for them and yep. you have a responsibility going back to that absentee. You, you can't be absentee because you have a responsibility to the people that are coming in every day. Yep. And I wanted to get your take on this because I love that your background is in buying and selling businesses. You see that all the time because I think there's probably a side myth around this, which is people want to buy businesses that don't require you know, the owner to be in there all the time, or there's something around that. But, it, but if you're telling me, actually, I want to see that you are in there and you're leading the thing and that it needs a leader. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, you definitely have economies of scale. So I think, you know, we're seeing so many strategic buyers that are buying several companies within, um, you know, an industry, right? So of course, if you have a large, you know, strategic buyer, private equity, they're running all these, these kind of um, sub companies from the parent company. They're not obviously on the ground day to day, but they're putting management in place and they are invested in those businesses, right? They understand how they're running. They're investing in them. They're purchasing additional companies to support them. I think that's what I mean by being involved. I think it's hard to say, I'm going to buy this business. I'm going to put someone in place and I'm never going to show up and I'm never going to call them and the money's just going to come in. Right. And so we've, we've been approached lately by a lot of, I guess you could say buyers who have investors backing them and it's not their money and they come in and there are a lot of them like recent MBA grads saying, well, I want to buy a company, but I'm really busy. So I don't, I don't really want to, you know, run it day to day. I just sort of want to put people in place and then just have it run. And I just, I don't think that works. Um, especially if you're looking to take a company and grow it and then maybe acquire additional companies, you have to really be involved in some level, um, you know, in that business. What happens? That example of the, the MBA 
grad and uh, MBAs don't tell you as much as we people think they do. Um, running a business tells you something. Uh, mm-hmm. What happens to those companies though? When have you seen absentee companies and have have you experienced what happens when the owners just really check out? Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen companies sometimes where the owners are just. I think they lose interest in the business. I think I see that more. I, I yeah. think what we see, um, unfortunately, in a lot of times is that the owner has actually run it for a long time and was invested and starts wanting to retire or wanting to move on and they wait too long, right? So they you know, start to take more time off. They start to take more vacations. They take their eye off, on, off the ball. Um, they don't have the right employees in place. And then they wait and wait and wait and wait. And then they come to us and say, I wanna sell my company. And what you get is kind of a downward trend in the sales, right? The company isn't as healthy um, than it maybe was two years ago. So it's always it's always really hard to sell your company when it's doing well. People want to keep their companies when it's doing well and wait till it's not doing well. But you need to sell your company when it's doing well. And so you really need to start planning, you know, three to five years out um, before you're going to sell what that looks like, right? Meeting with someone, sitting down and understanding what your options are and what that timeline looks like, because you want to start the sale process when it's on an upswing and not when you start feeling tired um, of working there and running the business every day, because that's when it just starts to, it inevitably starts to decline. You're right. That is counterintuitive. You're having fun. Things are going well. Why would you think of selling? But that's the time to do it. Right. I think, I mean, you always have to have a plan. You know, we always say when you buy your company, figure out when you want to sell it, right? Start thinking about, are you going to hold this for five years, build up and sell it? 10 years, is this a legacy business? You want to pass it on to your children? I mean, what do you want to do with this company? And really start thinking about it, start planning. Um, And of course you get people that, you know, things happen, right? They get sick or they need to relocate and they have to sell. But again, um, once you get that inkling feeling that you don't want to run your company anymore, you really start to, you need to start thinking about pulling the trigger, um, and meeting with a broker and understanding your options and understanding what the business is worth and getting evaluation done to start thinking about a sale. Because typically when you start wanting to sell it, it, that feeling never goes away. It just gets stronger over time. Yeah. Wow. A couple questions with that. Um, do you encounter the people, especially when it's doing well, that maybe shift from, I don't know, in EO, we've sort of had that sort of like growth versus lifestyle business debate. Do you see people that maybe sort of slip into that? Well, it's sort of, it's, it's spitting off cash. So we're just kind of let it ride, but then they check out and that, that machine gets weaker and weaker without them, their presence. Yeah, we do. I mean, I think, you know, you, you do get clients who just said, I took it to a certain level. I didn't want to invest any more time and effort. I have a great lifestyle right now. There is a benefit to that too, right? If you're an owner in your company, you're making great money and now you're, you're able to take time off, take vacations. I mean, the flip side of being an involved owner is also being a too involved owner when you are the business, right? So I've had situations where the owner's like, the business can't run without me. I have to be here every day. If I'm not here, the business will decline. So again, have to put people in place to help run your company. You have to have the right management and the right um, staff in place to where you can take a vacation, right? You aren't working nights and weekends, you know, all those things. So I, I do think you get, you get owners who say, I've taken it to a great point. I have a great work-life balance and could I double it, triple it? Yes. But I don't want to put in the time and effort to do that. But what's great then is if they go to sell it, 
there's great upside for a buyer. I mean, a buyer is going to come in saying, hey, I love what you're doing. It's great that I'm not going to kill myself working 70 hours a week, but I can grow it, right? There's further growth in this business. If you're in a business that's already tapped out, there's nowhere to go. That's difficult. Um, buyers want to buy a company and, and grow it and make it bigger, typically. Hence the upswing again. Right. You know, again, right. If, if there's there's a there's places you could take it and it's yep. doing well and it's in that direction, yep. that's the time to have that conversation. Um, uh, the flip side, what if, what if people are now listening to this podcast and they're like, I wish I heard Casey and Sarah talking like four years ago, but I am in that, that trough where they're, they, they're doing more vacations. They're kind of checked out. Like what advice do you have for those people? I mean, I think you don't really know what your options are until you explore them and meet with a broker. I mean, I think, you know, I've had some clients call and say, my business is too small. And it's not too small. You know, I mean, you, you really don't know, um, you know, sit down, talk to a broker, have them evaluate your business, have, have them evaluate, you know, your sales, your cash flow, what the business is worth. We can do a business valuation. You know, if we think it's not saleable, um, we'll tell you. We can also refer you to um, someone who can do some, you know, coaching with you, some consulting to help you rebuild that business. Or if there are weak spots in the business, whether it's, you know, customer concentration, um, employees and management, um, you know, maybe your financials aren't as, um, you know, organized as they should be. These consultants can work with you to get the business healthier for sale. Um, and a lot of times it's only six months to a year and you can really increase your valuation by just doing some consulting, making the business healthier, kind of mitigating some of those risk factors that buyers look at that may make them make a lower offer and then put your business on the market and get it sold. So I think, you know, there are a lot of businesses that can be resuscitated. You just need to involve yourself with the right consultants and the right um, team of professionals and advisors working with you to make sure that you have a good plan. And that's so wise. I, I've, I've seen that happen. I've, I've experienced yeah. that. You just get a, a new, fresh look in there, new CFO, new advisor, CEO coach, yeah. just to challenge you on a few things, a little bit of accountability. And we, we can certainly reinvigorate you as a, as an owner CEO for long enough to clean things up a bit and then, you know, get right. things polished to sell it. That's, man, that is smart. And interesting though, it's, you're not necessarily too small. You don't know, you just should just go meet a broker and have right. a conversation. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, you, you can't make, um, you know, your own guesstimate on what the business is worth. I, I wouldn't, you know, just assume that it's not worth anything or, or sometimes people overassume that they think their business is worth so much more than it is. So you really need to talk to your professionals and like, look, talk to your accountant, talk to your lawyer, like use the professionals around you. Um, you know, sometimes people are afraid to spend money, but I think sometimes you, you need to spend money to have the professional advice um, to then make a, a more sound decision. Like I've seen business owners that you know, want to save money and they use their cousin who's a divorce attorney to do their legal work on their deal and they have problems, right? Like don't, you know, kind of um, skimp on these things because it really can change the value of your company. You can change the path on what you want to do with your company, with your life, um, whether you can retire or not. Like these are big decisions. Get all the professionals involved and surrounding you so you can make good decisions. Um, and I think, you know, everybody, even if you're a super successful, you know, CEO or business owner, 
we can all do better, right? We can all use some coaching or have someone say, why didn't you try this or do it this way, right? So, so I think it's always good to get advice from other people and see what you can be doing to improve. Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. And great advice on not skimping on, on advisors for the big decisions, you know, yeah, (laughs) like totally. if you want to go cheap on your lawn care, like God bless you, whatever you want to do for the groundhogs, fine. But like exiting your company or some sort of legal thing where there's a risky downside or an amazing upside, like it, it makes sense to stack your corner, you know, just for sure. For sure. Yeah. Do you, what kind of mistakes do you see people make when they are selling their business or about to? Oh, mistakes people make. Well, I think the first thing is it's, it's, it's a very emotional journey to sell your company. You know, we always tell our clients, it's kind of like we're married for a short period of time. Um, So you have to, you have to really, you know, first tell me everything about the company, tell me the good things and tell me all the bad things because if I don't know about the bad things, when the buyer starts doing their due diligence, they're going to find the bad things. They're going to tell me about the bad things. So, you know, come clean. Let's talk about the company ins and out because then I can help you, right? We can, we can come in, help you tell you how to fix things or tell you what things you need to disclose at the get-go before the process. You know, buyers don't want to uncover something that the seller didn't tell them um, that makes them feel really uncomfortable and like the seller um, is trying to kind of pull the wool over their eyes and and nobody likes that. Um, I think the other thing, and I I saw this recently, was um, you have to accept the fact as a seller that whoever you sell the company to is probably not going to run it exactly the way that you do. And you have to be okay with that. Um, You know, we really try to only, um, you know, work with obviously good buyers, solid buyers, strategic buyers. So, you know, we, we make sure that our clients are really comfortable with the buyers that we're presenting to them. And ultimately I tell my clients, do not sell to somebody that you don't like, that you don't trust, you don't feel good with, but you have to accept the fact that they may not run it exactly the same as you. Um, they may bring in other management. They may decide to do things a little bit differently and you've got to be okay with that because at the end of the day, you're, you're walking away, you're selling this company. So hopefully we can find a buyer that they feel is going to do some of the things that they didn't do when they were running that company, right? And make it better. I mean, that's always what you wish for, but I think sometimes sellers have a hard time letting go um, and they, they want the buyer to do everything the same and that's probably not realistic. Yeah, you're giving up control. Over right. that. It's not Nobody yours. likes to give up control, right? Yeah, it's not yours yeah. anymore. And you yeah. have to, yeah, it's it's interesting. You, you mentioned the emotional side of it. I think we sometimes neglect to appreciate that, especially if this has been your calling or this has been your baby yeah. now. And ideally, we're doing it like we've listened here on the podcast. Things are going well. We are having fun and we're potentially separating from this. So that there's a, there's an emotional thing to it. I know a lot of my friends who've who've done that have taken a little time afterward and and not sort of rebounded right into something else because they missed that, that energy shot. Yeah. And I mean, it takes about six to nine months to sell a company. So I always tell my clients by the end of the process, you're ready, right? Mentally, you're ready. When you start, you're a little nervous. You don't know what to expect. You may not be ready. You're not ready to exit the business. Once you get through the whole deal, at the end and you can kind of see the finish line, typically you're going to be ready. Um, But it is super emotional. I mean, you know, all of our clients have put in a lot of sweat equity into their businesses. Now we're getting 
a lot of baby boomers who a lot of their companies are multi-generational. So, you know, they took over company from dad, dad took over company from grandpa. And so, um, and they're coming into it saying, Hey, I thought I was, my children were going to take over this business, but they didn't want to, right. They wanted to be a doctor. They wanted to have a professional career. Um, so for them, it's even more emotional because this, this company has been in their, um, you know, families for maybe 50, 60, 70 years. Um, and so now they have to go sell it to someone who's not part of their, of their family. And that's a big deal. Um, and that causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. So our job is to make the process easier, you know, and help to take some of the stress and anxiety out of it by being in the middle between them and the buyer. Um, so that hopefully in the end, they do feel really good about um, what they did, you know, what they built and then where it's going with the buyer coming in. But it, it, it's, I always say our jobs are like half business, business broker, half therapist, because yeah. we just, you know, it's a lot of just handholding and coaching, but I think, you know, my whole team, um, all the brokers that work here, came from either a family business or they were business owners themselves. So they understand what it's like to work in business. A lot of them under, understand what it feels like to sell their companies because they went through a sale. And so I think we, we really have that empathy with our clients. We understand and we really try to handhold and make sure that um, at the end of the day that they're happy. Oh, so, so well said. Uh, thought, how many business owners do you see stay involved afterward. You just mentioned the six to nine process, month process. Do some of them keep a toe in there? Do you recommend they do? What happens? I mean, not many. I mean, most owners, they they want to exit and leave and do something else. I mean, that's why they're selling. We have a very small handful, I would say, over the years who you know, were retained by um, the buyer to continue to work. So maybe, so for example, I sold a, a large home care company in Boston last year sold to a publicly traded company from Canada, actually, that owns home care businesses. So it was interesting. They wanted to come into the U.S. and they started acquiring independent home care agencies. And the owner was great. She was um, very energetic, young, um, did not want to continue to run the day in day of the business, needed support, needed some internal things that this company could provide, but she was great at business development. She loved going to meet clients, getting them engaged, getting them involved in the process, doing intake. She just hated all the back end stuff. So they kept her on in a position where now she's just doing business development um, and she's super happy and she can take vacations. Um, she's not, she used to say she was sleeping with the phone under her pillow every night, waiting for a problem to happen. Um, cause a lot of her people are 24 seven on the job with, you know, wow. as caregivers. So she always had that anxiety that she was always working and always on. And now she can enjoy the, the best parts of, of running that company, right. By working for the company. Um, and so she's been really happy. Um, so I think it, it has to be a, a unique situation. Um, but we have had a handful of clients that have stayed on. Wow. What, what about that, the, the concept of you know, the isolation at the top or, you know, it's lonely at the top for the business leaders. Do you, do you see any resources or communities that have been beneficial for you and and the folks you work with in terms of staying connected and learning from each other? I think it's really important to be in peer groups, Um, you know, and um, I'm, I'm involved in several different organizations. So one, I'm involved in USA 500 clubs, which is an organization um, all across uh, the Northeast as well as California, but um, it's made up of business professionals. So it's, it's basically anyone that works in the sphere of typically um, small to medium-sized companies. So a lot of attorneys, 
a lot of accountants and insurance people, you know, things along those veins. And so not only do we provide referrals for each other, but if I need an attorney on a deal, I know someone I can call. If I need a resource, I know someone I can call. Um, the resources in this group have been amazing. Um, so I'm the club development director for the Needham chapter. Um, so I've gotten very involved with that um, and just have a great group of professionals. And then I think it's also really important to be um, connected to the professionals within um, you know, your industry. So, you know, I came from other industries before I was in recruiting where people were very, um, there was a lot of competition and um, people butted heads and nobody shared. I think the business broker community is great because everybody really shares best practices and tries to help one another. So um, I'm involved in the New England Business Brokers Association. Um, and then I also just went out to um, the International Business Brokers Association conference and met brokers all across the country. And it had been a couple of years since we had this conference because of COVID. And I was invited to um, be part of a peer group of some of the top brokers across the country. And so what I'm really excited about um, is that now, as I look at growing my own company, right? So we have, um, we have five brokers and then my father who um, was in the business before is, is kind of semi-retired. Um, but you know, looking to grow my company, how can I learn from other brokers on what they've done, right? So some of these top brokerage offices, one of them has 35 brokers. Um, and while I probably would never aspire to be that big, um, you know, understanding how did you get there? What did you do? What, what things do you struggle with on a, you know, day-to-day -day in your company? Um, and understanding the things then that you can do better in your business. I think we can always be growing and learning. So even coming back from that conference, I took so many things with me to, to say, you know, I said to my team, Hey, why don't we try it this way? Or what do you guys think? I'm always involving them in what we're doing and the decisions that we make as a company. Um, because, you know, we always want to be improving the service that we give to our clients and how we're running internally, right? How we're supporting one another and making sure that we're a healthy um, organization ourselves. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. My next question really is like, who are you, <laughs> Sarah? Take me back to like little Sarah days. Did you always oh know you're going to be running businesses, selling businesses, helping broker no. all these deals? Like, did, were you a deal maker when you were four? Where'd um, you grow up? So I grew up in Newton. Okay. Um, so I didn't go far. Um, but, you know, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. So my father owned different businesses growing up. So first he owned an auto body supply business in Dorchester. Um, and then he owned a business card uh, printing business. So it was actually funny. So my, when I was in college, my parents, um, you know, during the summers coming home, they said, you have to get unpaid internships in your field. So I was a journalism major. So I worked at Channel 5 doing an internship. And then you need to have a paying job. Um, and so one of my paying jobs was working for my father doing sales. So I would go out, you know, to different Kinko's, different types of um, companies like that and sell them working with you know, my father on the back end printing. And so it's funny, they called him when I went back to college and they said, we want to talk to your salesperson. And he's like, well, she went back to school, so she's no longer here. Um, but I think it was, it was great. It was kind of like, I got to see how a company's run inside. And what always, it always fascinated me was just different types of businesses out there, just all the different types of businesses, how they run. Um, but I did start my career in journalism. I was actually working public relations in New York, came back to Boston and then I ended up pivoting into sales, um, running different um, organizations, different companies, um, and then was in recruiting for a short period of time doing business to business. Um, 
And then my father had sold his company and he started a business brokerage. So I left, I left, uh, I was working for Robert Half at the time during recruiting. And I said, I'm going to be a business broker. And everyone was like, what is a business broker? What are you going to do? Um, and no one really knew what business brokers were. Um, so it was really interesting. So I went from this, um, you know, company, I was, I was young um, with, you know, 100, 100 employees in Boston to like a basement office with my father working as a business broker, um, not really knowing what was going on, but it was great. Um, and I think also I came in to the industry where this is a very male dominated industry. Um, it's a lot of older men, a lot of business owners, right? So a lot of men who sold their company and coming in as a woman, I think was first a little daunting, but I think it also really set me apart from so many other brokers out there, it made me unique and different. Um, and I think it's actually really helped in my career. Um, and as I've grown my business, I've also tried to bring in other women business brokers as well, as well as men, um, but make it a really diverse group of brokers, you know, within our company. So that then again, we can appeal to a wide variety of clients. So that was kind of my trajectory now to business brokerage. But I, yeah, as a kid, I, I, I think I told my mother as a kid, I wanted to be um, a nurse so I could serve people lunch um, or a flight attendant for that reason. I don't, I don't know why, but that clearly I'm not doing that today. So that's awesome. Serve people lunch on the plane yeah. or I wanted or to serve people lunch. Yeah. Bed. That's interesting. It's <laughs> cool. Know. You remember that too. I know. I know. Um, yeah. But yeah. And then, you know, I, I think personally, my husband's a business owner, as I mentioned. Um, so we both kind of have the same mindset. We have two young children. Um, so always kind of doing a million things at one time, but I think, um, you know, it's good to be organized and, um, and I like being busy. I think, you know, last year with COVID, when things got slower, you kind of don't know what to do with yourself. So I think, you know, most entrepreneurs and most business owners love to be busy. So, um, I think we're, we're both like the busier, the better. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's part of the DNA. Um, right. It's being sure. busy, hopping on right. those calls, <laughs> right. pivoting from one call to another call about, yeah. Um, Totally different topic, but yep, it's exciting. Totally. It makes you feel alive. Um, yeah. Really interesting. So I have a hypothetical question for you. Yes. Um, I may or may not have a time machine in New Hampshire, oh my God. Nashua. So you, know, okay. you come visit, you know, we'll get some beers and you use the time machine. It's yep. in the backyard covered in a tarp, you know. Uh, so use a time machine. It's a particular kind that takes you back in time. You get to meet yourself a few days after that undergrad, a few days after that PR degree in the journalism. And uh, you get to meet that version of you. Yep. And, and unlike the movies, you can actually talk to yourself and give yourself advice. What, what advice would you give yourself? What recommendations? What things would you say? So first I would say go travel, go enjoy the world before you start to get serious. Cause I think once you start in a professional path, it's really hard to take time off. Um, and the same when you start to have a family and kids and you can't just take off for a month and go to Australia if you want to. Right. So I wish that I had gone, um, and done some of those things. Cause I think I was very driven, very goal oriented. I moved to New York right after graduation. I had my job lined up. Like these were the things that I did, but I didn't take the time to necessarily do those things. Um, and then I think just trust in, in the process that everything's going to fall into place. Right. So, um, you know, it's funny, my first job in PR, I was working in New York and I was working for a company that, that did cover, cover girl cosmetics, um, okay. which was like my dream job. And the company was a mess and the people were not nice. And I got fired from my first job in New York city. 
And I walked out being like, oh my God, I'm so driven. This was what I was supposed to be doing. How did I get fired from my first job? This is crazy. And, you know, now looking back, I had, there was a process, right? So my next job was a thousand times better and I made more money and it had a, you know, career path. And I kept moving up in the company and just trust that, you know, you will be led in the, in the right direction. If you work hard, things will fall into place with you. You just have to put the work in and then you'll get things back tenfold and just trust that that will happen for you. Yeah. Like you could work, you could have a terrible company, terrible team, people you're working with, but if you're working hard and if you keep that standard, yeah, you're right. I've seen that as well where, yeah. And you may get fired and Mm -hmm. maybe it's your fault. Maybe it isn't, but, but that next job and the next job and keep after that persistence. Yeah. So it's like, you know, dust yourself off, say, you know what, that wasn't for me. It wasn't the right fit. Let's move on. What's my next move. And like really put in the time and the effort and it, and it will pay off over time. But you think you just have to have that trust. You have when you're in it, in that moment, it feels like such a terrible, sad moment, but just trust in the process that you will get to where you want to be. If you put the time and the effort into it. Amazing. Amazing. Have, have you carried that same logic into the races and have you been able to get to any, any races lately or, or 200 mile so, challenges? <laughs> so I think I told you before, I'm a, I'm a big runner. So I think running and exercise and taking care of your body is really important to also take care of your mind. Um, so I am back at orange theory. I am back at running. Um, I'm hoping to compete in some races soon. Um, and, you know, do some five K's probably a Turkey trot and things like that. I think, I think, you know, a lot of times I work out, you know, all of my, you know, you kind of have these thoughts going on in your head and things that keep you up at night. And I think, you know, by running, I I'm able to sort out a lot of those things in my head, um, and, and come away from it, um, figuring things out, or at least feeling calmer about things. Um, I think every, a lot of people are very quick to react in the moment. I think, especially lately with COVID and there's just so much emotions, we see people just reacting, reacting. Um, if you can do something like exercise, right. To just, um, kind of work through the process in your head. I think it's so therapeutic and it just helps you in, in, you know, your day to day, every, every morning that I exercise, I just have a better, more efficient and productive day for sure. It feels like you've already accomplished the day, you know, especially if you hit it in the morning, you're like, well, yeah. you know what, today could yeah. completely suck, but I got to work out in. So exactly. it's, it's a exactly. win. You, you did something, right? So your day started out good. You did something. And uh, usually it'll, it'll carry you through the rest of your day. So how about you? What do you do like that in your life? You mentioned the orange theory. Have you ever done yeah. Spenga? Have you heard of Spenga? I've not done Spenga. It's this, have, you, have you heard of it? No. It's kind of like the cousin um, to orange theory. It's just okay. a little different. So um, it's 20 minutes of spin. Okay. 20 minutes. And it's in a gym, just like an orange theory. Yep. 20 minutes of spin, uh, 20 minutes of hit. So you're doing like, like huh. weights or some kind of aerobic thing. Yeah. Um, and then 20 minutes of yoga. Interesting. Yeah. Very so you're cool. So Stretching at the end, which I need because I'm like huh. as flexible as a tree. So Same. not the good yeah. tree, like the tree yeah. that doesn't move. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's it been great because you just just about the time when you're getting tired yeah. of spin, it's like cool, let's go, let's go smash some weights. Just yeah. about the time you're like, my arms can't move anymore. You're like, cool, let's go stretch. And you're like, all right. Very cool. So we'll go to a Spenga class together, I guess. Right? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, They're awesome. all over the Sounds place. Good. Yeah. 
there's a, very cool. there's one right up in up here in Nashua. It's great. It's really cool. cool. And they all know your name when you come in, which is, I, I found. So they can yell at you and actually yell at you by name, right? right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and they're, but they're nice. They're nice on the bike. And so okay. it's a little, it's a little nicer atmosphere. It's not, not as, not as angry as CrossFit. Like CrossFit reminds okay. me of the Marine Corps, which yeah. sometimes I'm, I'm in, I'm like, let's do yeah. this. Sometimes it's just yeah. like, ah, I don't want to. Just leave know, me but, alone. I know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have days where I go into Orange Theory and I see the instructors. I'm I'm friendly with a lot of them. I say, yeah, like just today's not my day. I'm just gonna run in silence. Like just don't yell at me. I just just let me be today and yeah. do my thing. So no, I get that. All right, I am gonna check out a Spanga class because that sounds that sounds awesome. Is really cool. Really cool community too. I, yeah. You know, for me during COVID, I thought, oh, I know, I'll get a Peloton and and then I'll just do this Spanga thing that I love virtually at yeah. home in my basement. And it just wasn't for me. I, I it's need not the, the same. people. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah, you get you get energy with the people around you, right? They get you energized. And I'm very, I'm a very competitive person. So if I see someone running faster than me next to me, like I have to run, I have to run faster than they do, right? So you kind of you start competing against each other and then just pushing each other, I think, to do better. Um, so yeah, yeah I definitely, totally. I definitely have appreciated being able to be back and in person and doing all these things for sure. I don't know if it's the same way for you, but my spouse actually totally digs the at-home Peloton. Mine does too. He, we have a Peloton. I don't use it. He uses it. Um, but yeah, I, I do a mix. I would say uh, we have a home gym. So some days when I'm super pressed for time, I'll go to the home gym. I love running outside. I think running outside is awesome. Um, I'm a sort of fair weather runner when it's really terrible outside. I won't run outside. Um, and then going to you know, the classes. So I think, I think a good mix is good. I think whatever gets you to do it is what you should do in, in general, for sure. You know, and, and have you heard that theory around, gosh, it was, it was some kind of medical study showing that I think it was people getting some kind of colonoscopies or something, but they did a study where if they just got you out as quick as possible versus if they let you just sort of sit there and chill with a blanket on you, for the last, I think it was like the last 15 minutes. If the last 15 minutes was like the, the thing, or if the last 15 minutes was y- you relaxing, uh, the people that relaxed a little bit rated the entire experience m- more positively than the people who got out quicker because huh. it was, you remembered what happened last. Mm. And, and I always nerd out and associate that with Spanga where you're doing, you know, you're stretching and that's still some work, but yeah. then toward the yeah. end, you have that corpse pose. You're just laying on the mat, closing your eyes for 30 seconds, maybe. And yeah. And then when you get up and you're all done, you kind of associate the whole workout with that. Wasn't so bad. That was okay. You remember the calm part of the workout, not the crazy part of the workout. Right. You remember remember the calm part, even though there was some ass kicking that happened midway through. That's too funny. Well, I will remember that the next time when I rush out of orange theory without stretching, I'll say, I should stretch. I should lay down. I should close my eyes. I'm not very good at relaxing. So, um, I will try to do a little more of that too. So, yeah, well, it helps when you're like recently broke off from having done all this working out sure. where it's a lot easier to relax. Then if you still have the energy, yeah. I'm feeling you're like, well, I don't want to do this, but right. usually right. by the end, especially because you get your own weight station. And so you pick your own weights, you pick your own things and but yeah. you're doing the thing together. And, and usually huh. by the end of that, I'm just like, <laughs> sometimes it's all I could do to get myself from the 
weight stations over yep. to the yoga section, just like dragging myself over there. Cause it's such I a know. good workout. So, you know? Sometimes I'm very exhausted after orange theory. I'm laying there stretching and I just don't want to get up off the floor. So I completely, I completely understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've fallen asleep during yoga before too, but oh. I can't confirm or deny it. I don't know. Very cool. Very um, cool. You can take naps there too. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Free nap time. That's <laughs> what I go for. That's my secrets. Out. Nice. Nice. Well, this has been awesome. Where if people want to connect with you, um, especially if they, they're looking to have that conversation to talk to a broker, just heard one now, um, they, they know who you are, they've heard your experiences, but also a lot of your feedback and wisdom. How do you want them to contact you? So they can go to our website. It's baystatebusinessbrokers.com. Um, and then my email is Sarah um, with an H, so S-A-R-A-H at baystatebusinessbrokers.com. Um, and they can learn all about us and always feel free to email me if you have any questions about selling a business, buying a business. Um, we are always here to help. We have a great team um, of brokers in place as well. And so again, um, always trying to match our brokers with the clients that you know they're best uh, the best fit for um, so that we can have a really good client experience. Yeah, absolutely. And again, thank you so much. I feel like my knowledge has gone from like, you know, anecdotal from friends and stories to like, I feel really comfortable that, you know, to plan in advance and, and even mentally yeah. on the business you're in now, like plan that six to eight years from now, or whatever that time is, have that conversation sooner and, yep. and, and don't, don't kick, put, don't put that up. Don't kick it down the road. So for sure. again, thank you so much for, for being on. Thank here. you for having me. This is great. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for those people listening, if you learn something, share this with someone else and whichever groups you're in, um, that's how you show thought leadership by getting this in other people's hands. And this has been another episode of the hard and most amazing podcast ever, the EO Boston Leadership in Action. We will catch you all next time. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer -peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.